grace and peace to you this morning. Wanted to uh, thank Dr. Frommeyer always for the opportunity to preach in chapel. Uh, just because I uh, supposed to be the director of the Excellence in Preaching Initiative doesn't mean I preach with excellence. So thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> but um, like like Dr. Frommeyer said, I, we want to before I start, want to extend an invitation to our event coming up when we are going to screen the movie Bien Eñe. It's an excellent movie about what it means to be Latino, and everybody's welcome. This is not a Latino-only affair. Everybody is welcome. So if you're in the area, please join us on that evening. Um, the second disclaimer before I start is that, yes, I'm supposed to be defending my dissertation sometime soon. I've been, you know, saving money to bribe, I mean, to share with the committee. <laughs> Uh, but uh, technically, I'm supposed to submit my whole thing by Tuesday. So I'm almost, almost there, uh, almost there, just by pure will of power. No, no energy left, no desire. I wish I could throw the whole thing out the window. Do not want to, I could care less about the topic anymore. Uh, but uh, yes, um, yeah, it's, life is uh, full of things and full of surprises. I personally, my life is full of, of different things, different interests. Yes, I'm doing a PhD. Yes, I preach. Yes, I like uh, and love working with the Latino community and working with all kinds of people from all kinds of community. And I think that's as eclectic as my taste in music. I love music. Music is one of the things that I, I love that I have in my life. If you look at my iTunes or look at my uh, Amazon uh, music, you will find all kinds of different musical flavors and, and things that I love to, to listen to and to play. Uh, when I was a child, I played music. My father was, uh, for a time before he became terribly ill, was um, um, an up-and-coming singer, had a number of records, and so I got, I got his passion for music in my life. And I played music as a teenager. At 17, I started playing professionally, graduated high school, went on to college, um, in Boston to study music and uh, wrote music professionally, played music professionally. Um, and after I finished in Boston, I moved to Miami, Florida because I wanted to pursue a musical career and uh, was lonely, was missing the church, missing God in my life. So I decided to go back to church, went back to church in Miami and joined the music ministry. I liked music. I was a professional musician then. And... Um, I will never forget one day, back then I loved, um, I would play anything with a good rhythm and, and good harmony. I, I mean, any, just give me a good, you know, good set of chord changes and I would play anything. Um, but uh, I learned from our music director, our music worship leader on that day, uh, Sila Nuhar Esther. And uh, I learned from her one day that the words mattered. That it was not just the music, it was not just the rhythm, it was not just what I could put together musically, is that the words to the songs that we use to worship God matter. Um, and so since that day, I've, I've paid more closer attention to the lyrics, to the words, and realized that, yeah, they matter. They, it matters what we say about Christ, and it matters what we sing, and, and I don't know if... if uh, Dawn is going to back me up on this. She might not, but uh, I hope she does. But that, that some words 
really tell us great things. Some songs can really tell us great things about who God is. And what we have here in our text this morning is exactly that. It's a great hymn. I don't know if you know this. Perhaps you haven't had a chance to study the book of Philippians. But uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through um, 8 are considered a hymn. They're, they're looked at as a hymn by scholars. I don't know what the, the rhythm was. I hope it was a nice, you know, salsa, you know, very, you know, moving, you know. <laughs> Very exciting, I hope so, you know. Maybe some Latin jazz, you know. So, you know I mean, I'm hoping. I don't know what they played, uh, and I don't know how they played it, but I know that the lyrics that they sang when they sang this hymn said a lot about who God is. They say a lot about who God is. It's, it's, it's interesting that I think these words get away from us. And I think that these words have in them an insight that you and I need today to live in the society in which we are living. I don't know about you, but I get a sense that we are a culture that is tearing itself. We seem to be at each other's throats. We seem to be disaffected with each other, and, and not only are we disaffected with politicians, but we're now turning against each other. And I think that these words have something to tell us of great importance. Let me read the text for you again. Not that you know that there was a wonderful reading of the text earlier. I always love how we, how Dr. Frommeyer expands and makes things and puts theological stuff. It's lovely. But let me read the text once more because I want you to capture some things here. And I want us to look at them together. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do not... Uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same man mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Take that in for a second, please. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Talk about nepotism or anti-nepotism, right? The complete opposite of nepotism. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I, when I read this, and every time I read it, it, I have goosebumps. Because when you think about it, you have Jesus here, God, the same essence of God, the same nature of God that says, you know what, um, for these people that we created, I'm going to kind of put some of this stuff aside and I'm going to become like them. I mean, even worse, it's not like he showed up fully adult, you know, fully adult, fully formed. He had to learn to eat. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to distinguish between, you know, good shalal bread and bad shalal bread. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? He had to, he had to learn to be human. For your and my sake. I mean, this is not like, you know, when you are driving down the street and somebody cuts you off, you brake and you wait for them to get into the lane and you're like, I'm so nice. <laughs> no, this is, this is a real of, I'm going to put aside. I'm going to put aside everything I am and all the power of the glory in the universe for their sake. And I think that the secret is so much, or not the secret, the, the, what, what this has in it, what this insight that I've gained in, from this text, is not so much that Jesus put aside his divinity and his glory, not so much the debate of, you know, the, the whole nature of who Christ is and 100% human, 100% divine. That's all wonderful. That's all amazing. But it's the motivation that Jesus had. Paul says, have the same mindset that Jesus had. Have the same mindset. And the mindset is live for the other. That's the mindset. Live for the other. I mean, when you think about it, it, it you remember the, the great commandment, right? Jesus said, love God. Help me out here, please, so I know that you... <laughs> Come on, let's try it again. Love God with all your mind with all your soul, your soul or heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the secret here, folks. That's the insight here. The motivation of Jesus was that motivation. Love your neighbor as yourself. Live for the other. Do for the other. We live in a society where this is desperately needed. We live in churches where this is desperately needed. I know some board of trustees that desperately need to hear this. I know some DSs. Whoops. Thank God I'm not United Methodist. Woo! Jesus invites us and Paul reminds us that a full Christian life is focused on the other. Not focused on me. 
but focus on the one that is next to me. Regardless of who they are. I mean, how, let me ask you a question. How are you treating people around you? How are you treating people that think differently than you? How are you, and I'm not talking about how you, you know, that neighbor that lives next to you that is really nice and you really enjoy their company, you know, on special occasions. I mean, the, the, I mean the guy that lives on the other side of you that you don't like so much. I have a sin to confess. I do. I used to enjoy stinging people through social media. During the last election and even before and after, I love to post sarcastic comments to those people that posted things I disagree with. You know, I would post memes or memes, whatever you like to call them, I don't know, whatever. To sting those that are different than me just because it's fun. You know, they got it wrong, so I'm going to strain them out. You know how it is. You know, you, you're sitting there doing homework and, you know, you're bored to tears with whatever you're reading at that moment. And, you, you know, your phone is right there near you and you grab your phone and you see, let me see what's going on. And, you know, you, you pick it up and let me see what my friends are doing. And suddenly you scr scroll down to this particular thing that you see and you go, oh, my God, what an idiot. And you proceed to say, let me set them straight. And you tell him three or four things, you know, of how you think the whole world is wrong and he or she is the one that has made it all wrong. Send. Or post. Whatever. We all do it. I mean, we find, you know... Uh, Issues that concern us, immigration or, or health insurance or Trump's latest tweet, uh, tweet or, you know, is he getting more orange or less orange? I don't know, but I'm going to comment about it. And we find a way to hurt each other. And we find a way to treat the other less than human just because they think differently than I do. And so the question is, am I really living for the other? Am I imitating Jesus? Am I following Jesus and imitating him by living for that human being that even though he has or she has a different opinion than I do, still a human being created in the image of God? I mean, let's be honest. Opinions are like cell phones. Everybody got one. And so people are going to differ. But are we setting the standard of love? So I confess. I, I confess that I have come to that conviction for myself. I don't know about you, but you can choose to do whichever way you think God is calling you to do. But I confess. And so I have begun to be more loving and caring in how I share and what I share. Because to follow Christ is to live for the other. 
To follow Christ is, is to focus on somebody else's needs, not my own. And, and in this political climate, we as followers of Christ need to do this more than ever. I don't know about you, but we need to do it. Because the problem is that politics corrupt. I don't care how good the politics are. And I don't care what party you're on. But politics corrupt. And they corrupt us because politics are about what am I going to get out of the system? That's what the process of politics is. What am I getting out of this deal? Lower taxes, uh, pay for insurance, or this or that or the other, immigration, more or less, whatever. Whatever it is, ultimately, it is a process that is about what do I get out of it? And we have, for some reason, Christians have begun to say, I need to be involved in the political process in a way to affect change for the kingdom. But Paul didn't say set up a PAC, you know, a political action committee, right? He didn't say, he, he didn't, in the text, he didn't say, you know, you shall come together, set up a good PAC and raise money and go on into the streets. Jesus said, have the, like, have the mind of Jesus, be like him. Care for the other more than you care for yourself. Focus on the needs of the other more than you focus on your own needs. The church didn't say, are we getting what we need from Rome? We need to, you know, write to our senators in Rome and get what we need. The church said, let me go out and love those around me. And care for those that are around me. We just finished celebrating Black History Month. And, you know, people don't realize that the power of Martin Luther King Jr. was that he went out to the streets and said, we are doing this for the sake of the other. Martin Luther King, I mean, if you read his sermons, they read like, we're doing this to save your souls, everybody's souls, for the sake of the other. It's not just to carve out a piece in the table, is that... When we carve out a piece on the table, everybody benefits on the table. It was a different motivation. It was a different motivation. And the motivation was Christ's motivation. It was the focus of Christ. Christ said, I am going to, for their sake, stop being who I am so that they could have life. The amazing thing, and I'll close up with that. I know you want me to shut up. I'll, I'll close up with this. Well, there's, there's lunch, you know. <laughs> the amazing thing is that when we choose to focus on the other, like Christ did, the reward is that you are exalted by God. That was Jesus' reward. See, we think, we've been trained to think by our culture that it's all about me and I have to get my peace and I have to do everything and focus on me. 
And that my reward is what I carved out for me. And at the end of the race, whatever I carved out for me, that's my reward. But for you and I, Jesus said, your reward will come at its right time when I come back. When we focus on the other, when we motivate ourselves by caring for the one that is next to me, when we focus on the needs of those that are around me, and I put them first, God takes care of me. It's a complete position of trust. It's a complete position of faith in trusting that God will fulfill his promises in my life. And so I don't have to worry for me to carve out my own and get my own. I'll let God give it to me at the right time. Which might be when he comes back. Which might be not immediate. Which is another problem, but that's a separate sermon. You know how it is. You know what I mean? You know the microwave thing that I want it now, but... That's a separate story. But the invitation, friends, the, the, the call that Paul says to you and I is that we need to focus on the other because in doing so, we become like Christ. In doing so, we live as Christ has called us to live. We don't need great power in Washington. The church, Paul didn't have great power in Rome there was no office, you know, near the Senate, you know, the, the Senate uh, uh, chambers or down the street from, you know, the emperor's palace. The power of the church is manifested when we follow Christ and live for the other. Let us pray. Gracious Father, it is hard to submit ourselves to you in such a way that we become focused on the other. We confess. We are so self-centered. And we need your supernatural power to come upon us and help us to love and to live for the other. We pray, O oh God, that you will strengthen us to be your people and to reflect the power of your Spirit in our lives and everything we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.